This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem in Asia Torah overlooking the Temple Mount. Today we're talking about altered states of consciousness. I'm actually in an altered state of consciousness, um, mostly because I had a little caffeine. So, I, so I, I, I'm big into studying altered states of consciousness. It seems to be a, a part of human life, like for sure. There's, there is no society in the world, except for some society that's up near the North Pole, I forget their name, but they don't have any, they don't have any vegetation growing there. Um, but they, they're the only society they've ever found in the world that doesn't have altered states of consciousness. Every other human society has had, has within its culture altering your actual state of consciousness. Besides sleep. And, the, um, and you'll notice things like uh, children love altered states of consciousness, and you'll see they'll spin around. They're like, and I don't know, any adult wants to do that very much, you know. And that, that takes you in a totally crazy state of mind. Um, anyway, but you can actually whirl around like kids and you get to this, um, you can get to this state of consciousness. Um, but kids do it. Kids want an altered state of consciousness. And not only that, swings, they like to go on swings. Most adults don't want to go like that, you know. <laughs> That's just not, not what we're after, you know. And, and I go on swings with my kids and I last about, a minute, and uh, and uh, like that's enough of that state of consciousness. You know? Not that interested in that, but um, but we seek it in sports, and especially in thrill-seeking sports. And uh, as a, as a surfer, there's you know alter- there's definitely sends you in an altered state of consciousness going out there and and riding waves. Uh, Friday was my best day so far of the winter. It was the best day of the winter so far. But it was also my best day of the winter. And I was just throwing my board on rails, like just like flying down waves about the height of the ceiling here, flying down them, just digging in those rails to the right and then flying back the other way and, and exciting. But it was total altered state of consciousness, leading right to a trip to a brewery where I had the most delicious IPA from Alexander. <coughs> called, uh, I can't remember, the Blue and Gold, I forget what it was called. Another altered state of consciousness. But I was also a little sleep deprived, another altered state of consciousness. And so you'll notice that we're, we're doing this all the time. And, and uh, there is a, the writer of the Partridge family in the love boat, David Duchovny, nice Jewish man who actually studied here at Asia Tor for quite some time, and we became pretty close friends. You know how he wrote all the episodes? which were quite creative, and he has to create one each week. So, like, he had to keep the juices flowing of the creativity. He always would go into an altered state of consciousness. Which altered state did he go for? Okay. <laughs> no, he went for, he went for um, exhaustion. And what would he do? And he was still doing this back, you know, last time we schmoozed was a couple years ago, but he was still doing it in his 70s. And that is, um, he jogs, and jogs and jogs, and when he starts getting really tired, he knows he's almost there, and then when he finally falls down from exhaustion, he lands on the ground, I meaning he doesn't hurt himself, he lands on the ground, he'll find a patch of grass, and like land on the ground, just uh, like, like really passing out from exhaustion. And then, and he was doing this into his 70s, and then he breaks, he has in his pocket a, a pad of paper, like a little mini notepad and a pen, 
And there he writes down the next episode of shows that were watched by the world. You, remember, you guys remember The Love Boat and Partridge Family and... And it's like every episode we tuned into those, you know, like like the whole world was watching those. I don't know whether the big things today, but you would have all been watching this had you grown up when we grew up. And the but that was another altered state of consciousness. That that um, another form of altered state of consciousness. Uh, we have a commandment to alter our state of consciousness every Shabbos night. And every Yom Tov night on Kiddush, we have Kiddush is to be done on wine, not on grape juice. And if your host hands you a little thimble of grape juice, you know, a little tiny little thing of grape juice after, or even wine, after he makes Kiddush, just hand it back. Come on in. It's an open class, bro. Just want to say hi. Hi. So... Or when the time comes, if I wink, slide over one seat. Okay. So, anyway, I'm always keeping an eye on the chairs here. So, the... We're supposed to be drinking not just a little wine, but a cup of wine. And you're really supposed to finish it, that cup of wine. So, you're supposed to be drinking an entire cup of wine, Kiddush night, Shabbos night, and Yom Tov night, Kiddush night. And, and when your host hands you a little nothing, just take the bottle. <laughs> you know, take your thimble of whatever he gave you, and then take a bottle of wine, pour yourself a full cup, and drink it. Drink a full cup of wine. Why? Why are we supposed to alter our state of consciousness with alcohol? And the reason is, is because, and especially with the vine, okay, it's the fruit of the vine. It's not, we're not drinking beer, we're not drinking vodka, we're not drinking whiskey, we're drinking wine. It's the fruit of the vine. And the vine has its own spiritual properties. Wine is covenantal. It's got a different property than other types of alcohol. It's covenantal. You don't see people drink a bottle of wine together and punch each other's lights out. You do see that on Jack Daniels and beer. And you'll notice that during the nine days uh, when we mourn the temple... During those nine days, when we stop drinking wine, you're allowed beer, you're allowed whiskey, you're allowed vodka, you're allowed any kind of alcohol. You want to get drunk, go for it. Don't drink wine. Because wine's <coughs> covenantal. It brings <coughs> hearts together. It creates bris, creates connection. And, the, and because God's temple was destroyed, which was God's USB cable interface to our, to our planet, because that connection got severed, so if God doesn't have his point of connection, so we don't drink wine. We don't, drink, we don't create connection like that. And it's, it's a time to be more disconnected to the point where, where, where it hits its, its pinnacle. On Tisha B'Av, we don't even say hello to the stranger when you, or a friend. When, you come in to, and when you're coming and meeting someone on that day, you don't even say hi to them. There's no greeting. There's no hi or bye. And, the, and certainly the, that day we're fasting altogether. Breaking bread is also covenantal. And this is why also Jews are commanded not to break bread and drink wine with, with Gentiles because it leads to such connection that it leads to possibly intermarriage. And for that reason that we, we are prohibited from drinking wine. You can drink apple juice with Gentiles, but you cannot drink wine with Gentiles. Now, obviously, you can work your way around. There's workarounds. You know, if the wine was pasteurized, 
if you have pasteurized wine, then you're allowed to drink with Gentiles. But meanwhile, the wine itself has so much spiritual property that a Gentile can't be have his or her hands involved in the processing of the wine from the <coughs> literally from the grapevine, or maybe from the grapevine, maybe not. I don't know about the grapevine, but once it gets pressed, and whoever's pressing it would have to be Jews doing that. And if it's not Jews doing that, that's no longer kosher wine, which is really interesting because, like, you can eat, drink apple juice pressed by Gentiles, pineapple juice, orange. It has, it makes no difference who presses a, a pomegranate. But suddenly you press grapes, so you're now you either got you either got kosher grape juice or wine, or you've got kryptonite. And it's like eating pig juice or something. I just saw a really cute video of, like, getting over the Palestinian uh, Palestinian Jewish, uh, you know, fight. So this this Gentile came up with a a song of why we should all get to get along. Like, it was kind of a peace anthem. So so I can't remember the tune, but it was something like... You don't eat pig. We don't eat pig. Let's not eat pig together. You know? <laughs> this whole song, and it just keeps going like that. You don't eat pig. We don't eat pig. Let's not eat pig together. You know, he's like, he was trying to think what we all had in common. He got a whole audience in, here in his video. That's another Tim Minchin. He's this funny uh, Australian comedian, I think. Tim Minchin on the how to cure, fix the Palestinian pro, uh, crisis. <laughs> anyway, the <laughs> let's not eat pig together. So, so the, um, anyway, back to mind-altering state. So our rabbis teach us that we're supposed to be in that state, and it's not just that, it's other things, like, for example, fasting is a major mind-altering thing. You'll notice every cult will have some kind of nutrient deprivation to get you, you know, in line. And, and, and we have our holiest day of the year is Yom Kippur, where we have to, we get in line with, meaning we've been out of alignment. We have not been at one with God. But comes Yom Kippur, we fast to the point where, where our chemical shift of our thoughts in life, we get, we get reduced to humility by the end of the day. And then realign ourselves. And it's funny, the day is called at one mint. Atonement is the word at one mint when you look at it. It actually spells <coughs> the words at one mint. You can actually come back to God with just altering your chemical makeup of your brain by depriving it of nutrients for an entire day. Um, we have a day even holier, but only for like really super Kabbalistic me- reasons, is the day of Purim, where the name of the, the, the name of the game on Purim is to get so totally intoxicated that you no longer can distinguish good and evil. And that's considered one of our very holiest days of the year. And in fact, the download of the day has to come when you're unconscious. Meaning uh, the download of the day on sukkahs is when you're shaking that lulav or you're, in, you're sleeping in the sukkah, which is also unconscious. Those are the two mitzvahs that come unconscious. Sleeping in a sukkah, you get this big download. Is why I pity the food, don't sleep in no sukkah. Yeah, because he's missing the download of the, uh, of the sleeping in the sukkah. But that's a big download when you get unconscious in a sukkah is when stuff's happening. And the, 
The other thing is, uh, you know, each holiday has its mitzvah. The matzah and Pesach has, that's, the download's coming through the matzah. And each holiday's got a certain download to it. But Purim comes from when your, your normal thought processes get completely jiggled up with alcohol. Any kind of alcohol is fine. But it gets totally jiggled up by alcohol. Um, it's ideal, though, even then on Purim to drink wine. But that's for other reasons, and that is that wine has the numerical value. Yud and Yud Nun equals 70. Yud is 10. Yud is 10. Nun is 60. So that's... Sorry. 80. Yud and Yud is 10. That's 20 plus... Nun is 50. <laughs> so it equals 70. I knew the number. I just just blew the math. So, and then... Uh, but also the numerical value for secrets. Sowed. Samech Vav Dalit is also, is also 70. And we have a famous saying that when the wine goes in, the secrets come out. So the download of that day is the secrets. What are the secrets? What's the secret? The secret is, is that the whole physical world is an illusion. Our holiest day of the year. Kabbalistically, it's the holier than Yom Kippur. In fact, Yom Kippur is called Yom HaKippurim, which means the day Kippurim, like Purim. It's not on the level of Purim, but it's like Purim. And what are you supposed to do on Purim? You're supposed to get crazy drunk. Ladies, be careful doing that if there's drunk men around. Okay? But, they, uh, but you're supposed to get crazy drunk. And you're supposed to get so drunk that the secrets come out. What are the secrets? The secret is that this world's an illusion. And that's why the book that we read is called Megillat Esther. Megillah means to reveal, and the Esther means the hidden. It's the day we read a book called The Revelation of the Hidden. What's the hidden? What's the one word hidden throughout the whole book? God. God's name is not in the book. The whole book. Like, how can you have a book in the Tanakh that doesn't have God's name? And it's called The Revelation of the Hidden. What's the hidden? The hidden is God. In a crazy story full of all kinds of random coincidences. Well, isn't that our life? Where God's hidden inside the random coincidences of our lives. And, but we live inside the world of coincidence, which is this physical realm. And we have to alter our state of consciousness so intensely that we can no longer use the physical world as our basis for sanity. Because think about it. How do, you, how do you know you're smart? <laughs> you don't know you're smart. But how, do you know, <laughs> how do you know you're sane? You don't. You don't, but what, okay, how, why do you think you're sane? <laughs> we don't. So, why do you think you're sane? Because the table's the table, the floor's the floor. When you walk through the hall, it didn't suddenly meld into something else. You know, like, because the world looks normal to you, it, the physical world seems solid to you, and it all behaved the way it usually behaves, you consider yourself sane. Well, this day, you have to drink so much that the physical world, listen carefully, that the physical world is no longer your basis for sanity. Because you're just, think of that, you're not allowed to drive, you can barely walk. You're, you can't get along so well in the physical world. And you're commanded to drink to that level. To the point where, where you have to, you're, you're going to have to let go of sanity. Meaning physical world-based sanity. So it must be the spiritual world is the basis for sanity. And then what happens is you, you hug God instead of 
hugging, hugging the physical world. You're hugging God for your sanity. You're hugging God for life. The life raft is not the fact that the door to your house is in the same place in the morning than it was last night. You're, the life raft to your sanity is God himself. And that's why it's such a holy day. Uh, the ultimate altered state of consciousness, though, was the temple, uh, which is uh, obviously right outside this window here. Exhibit A. <laughs> the Temple Mount. So the Temple Mount is, uh, is where this, you know, highly intoxicating experience took place. And it had uh, some of the most mind-altering things happening. Uh, one of those things happening was, was awe, great awe from the beauty of the experience, just the f- literal physical beauty. There was also smells. You know, I, if you came to my meditation room and I, I, I put on some of the smells, I really should have brought some smells today for this class. But uh, if, I, if I burned some of, like, for example, the the uh, Israeli sage for you, which is like, I know a lot of people have smelled like sage smudge sticks, you know, from Native Americans in California. Yeah, that, that smells like burnt newspaper compared to the Israeli sage. Okay. <laughs> Israeli sage is just the sweetest, most pungent thing. You're sure someone's lit a joint. It's so pungent. And it's just incredible, intense smell. And, but I start combining. I've, I've become a bit of a wizard with these these various. So it's just when I'm meditating, you know, bring in the senses. That's where we're from, you know. And it's so funny when you see these uh, when you see these new age shops with all their stones and the sage and the meditation music and all that stuff. So I um, my son-in-law came in the room once, and there I am meditating. You know, I'm in full meditation and sitting across, I didn't even know they were there, sitting across from me are my grandkids who are, this, you know, they're just in meditation too, because they're, they're facing me. They're not facing all my names of God and everything I have in these posters and stuff. They're, they're not in, the, in that. They're just staring at me and the scene's really chill and the music's amazing and the, it's great. So they're in there and my son-in-law comes in and says like, he's like, I don't like this. <laughs> this isn't Jewish you know, it's not Jewish and you know, here I am like the, his father-in-law you know, he's going out on a limb to do that you know, say that and he certainly doesn't want his kids as part of this you know? so I said listen you know, with all respect to your feelings that you're, you're a Kohen those kids are Kohanim and that little boy a little two year old is, is going to be serving in the temple and in the temple, there was not just one burning thing. There was a, a concoction of 11 of them. That, that, that just creating that particular concoction is the death penalty, meaning we take incense a hell of a lot more seriously than any Indian in, in India. Like, they don't get death penalty for creating a mixture. Without even burning it, there's the death penalty. Just creating the mixture is already the death penalty. If someone else created it and you burn it outside temple service, death penalty for burning it. It's a double death penalty. One for making the concoction, the others for burning it. Like, no one takes incense more seriously than we do, bucko. And, and then I said, and you got something against meditation music? We had a band with, like, 
with thousands of Levites. A massive band. It was so loud and intense that you could hear it in Jericho. When the wind was right, it would just blow right down Jericho. The sound waves just come straight down to Jericho. You could hear it all the way down by the Dead Sea. You could hear the music coming down Wadi Kelt. You could hear the, the music of the Levites. And when you got to Jerusalem, you heard it. You smelled the incense already. And it's like, wow, I mean, don't we all get moved by music? I mean, anyone, that's altering. That alters one state, sure alters, totally alters your state. And, and not only that, for those who've ever been to certain kinds of concerts, uh, I'm talking about non-Jewish style concerts, but you can be in an auditorium with 30,000 people moving to a beat together in such total unity that that and there's even there's even concerts where the crowd is playing the band. I mean, the band's the crowd's instrument because what happens? The crowd simultaneously starts thinking, starts thinking about a song, and the band starts playing it, and then they really go wild because like they realize that they were spontaneously thinking about another song, and then the band just started playing that song because they were feeding off, they were somehow getting it off the crowd. And I've witnessed this in person. I've had people walk over to me with a notepad saying, saying, this is what they should play next. Pass it on. <laughs> I'm just like, you're weird. And, and you know, did not pass it on. But enough people passed it on. But meaning sometimes they did this manually, like literally sent around the crowd this is what should be played next. And the band would play it next. And everyone would just go. Mind-altering states. I was, at a, I was at a concert once where I found myself crying. And I was like, why am I crying? I'm not sad. I'm enjoying the concert. Why am I crying? I was like touching my head. I'm like, I'm crying. So then I got a little self-conscious. Like, no one should notice I'm crying. So I look around like, you know that look around like... Hope no one notice. Everyone around me is crying. <laughs> and so then I like stood up on my seat. I was in the floor area. So you can't, I stood up on my seat just for a sec to look back. And I see like, there's people like huddled over each other, like bawling all over. The, like they're comforting each other in, in like m- little like masses of humanity, like comforting each other. I was, I was like, what is going on here? You know, this is crazy. Ten minutes later... We're all jumping for joy. <laughs> it was just jumping, and I'm like, yeah, like this. So, so we had a band that blew them away by a million times. In fact, we even had a, a, a guy. There was one of the Kohanim had what's called Chachmat Partsuf. Chachmat Partsuf means that they had the wisdom of the physiognomy. Physiognomy is the, the story your face tells. Meaning every person's <coughs> face tells a story. It's, called, it's actually got an English term called physiognomy. And in Hebrew, it's called chachmat partsuf, which means the wisdom of the face. And they would have a Kohen who had chachmat, chachmat partsuf, who would read the faces of the people who were bringing a special offering for having sinned accidentally. For example, if someone accidentally broke Shabbat, they'd bring a sheep to the temple. And... Now, they, now, it was really important that when someone brought that accidental, off, that accidental sin offering, 
that sheep. It was really important that we, you're not, that the guy wasn't doing it out of rote. You understand? It wouldn't, you could easily, if you're doing this enough times, it becomes habitual. And so you just wind up blowing it all the time. And you just, you know, you can bring a sheep. So how careful are you going to get? You know, you, you wind up being kind of not so careful. And you just keep bringing your sheep up to the Temple Mount. So there was, there was a coin whose job was to read the faces of the people bringing their sheep. And if he saw that someone was bringing his sheep out of rote, not from the bottom of his heart, he would then send signals to the conductor like a catcher in baseball, the hob deal, with little you know, numbers in his mitt to the pitcher. He would send little signals to the, to the head of the orchestra, who was in Hebrew, the conductor is called him, Minatseach, uh, or as we say in Tehillim, Lamnatseach, to the conductor. As you'll notice, many of the psalms are called Lamnatseach, to the conductor. And he would, he would send signals to the conductor. The conductor then would shift the music to the most heart-wrenching song that would, you know, and this is full orchestra with a massive choir, massive choir. They, they say there were thousands of people in certain points of, the, of the, this going on. I mean, it was really powerful. And they would switch the song to have his heart grow contrite so that he would actually take responsibility for what he did. And, and now everyone's crying. You know, and once he did, he, and the guy himself, they say, would fall apart on the stairs. Like, you had to walk up these stairs. That's why it says, Shur Hamalos, the song of ascents, the song of rising up the stairs to the Temple Mount. That he would fall apart right there on the stairs. And, like, he couldn't even continue. Like, some be holding his sheep while he was just, like, bawling and convulsively doing his teshuva. Because there's no use killing an animal if you yourself aren't doing teshuva. It's like hitting your chest over sinning without actually thinking about the sin you did. So, so anyway, music was very powerful there. And, and I was explaining to my son-in-law that the, the smells, the music. And, and he's like, yeah, but you don't need stones. You know, because I got a couple gorgeous crystals. Yeah, really nice crystals. It's like, you don't need stones. I was like, don't need stones, huh? We, the high priest, your great, 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 great grandfather, used to walk with a vest... He had a special, I mean, he had a whole really cool outfit, but, but definitely the, the coolest part of the entire outfit was the 12 precious stones that were on his chest, on his breastplate. The 12 precious stones, each one internally engraved, which try doing that, that's not easy to do, internally engraved with the tribes, the 12 tribes engraved into the stones. And this, this thing was so powerful. That, that you can ask it questions and it would answer you. Meaning you could ask a question, should we be going to war? Should we not be going to war? Should we be planting right now because there was no rain and who says there's going to be rain and maybe we should wait a little. And they, you could ask it questions, national, obviously questions of national interest, you know, important you know, questions for the nation. You're not going to just ask it anything, but you could ask a question and it would answer you. Like it actually had this function of like a, a medium for, for the Jewish people. <laughs> anyway, so he's finally like, uh, you know, like, uh, like the kids are inhaling all the smoke. You know? <laughs> 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 no, he just left. He's left, he left his kids in there. <laughs> but, it, but it's very interesting because to be a great parent means stay out of your kid's hair 
and and stay out of your grandkids' hair because that's their parents' jurisdiction. So like, I didn't. Besides explaining, you know, the job of a coin, I left it at that. I didn't say leave them in here, but he did leave them in there, which was nice. So. I had a little coffee today because um, I just wanted to prove the point. And I don't know if you've noticed that I'm a little different than usual. I'm certainly more giggler, more giggly. <laughs> but what had happened was in my studies of altered states, the um, one of those uh, one of the ceremonial uh, substances that were used in the jungles, where you know where altered states are highly respected and led by medicine chiefs whose knowledge is just massive. I got to meet a medicine chief and I was asking about, you know, what he's got to do, what he can't do. You know, he's the high priest of this tribe, you know, and I asked him his stuff and he was telling me all this stuff he can do, all this stuff he can't do. There's like menstruation laws for his wife and, and he, he's actually, uh, it was really interesting that he and his tribe can't eat any food that was touched by the women if they were menstruating. And, uh, and so I was like, you guys really need an oral law, man. Because, you know, I don't, I don't know how long I could be eating crackers with, uh, you know, jelly on them. You know? <laughs> but, I turned into, but, it, but he was absolutely right about Kohanim. So anyway, I listened to all of his all of what he's involved with in his lifestyle. And it was like, it was literally like reading the Shulchan Aruch. And I'm like, how do you know all this stuff? And he's like, well, we've known this for thousands of years because the world was created about 6,000 years ago. And I'm like, how'd you know that? He's like, that's our tradition. You know, that's, that's the tradition we have. And, he's, he, and I'm like, tell me about the music. He says, oh, the music's called Ikaros. Ikaros? And I'm like, what does that mean? He's like, it means the essentials. And I'm like, that's Hebrew. <laughs> and I said, what kind of medicines? Well, he administers lots of different medicines, but the most powerful of them all is something called ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, and that comes from that comes from a vine and another totally separate kind of plant. That that what did they say? That the 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 trees themselves, which apparently they understand the language of the trees there, they, the trees themselves taught the elders thousands of years ago to combine them because they, they only really work when combined to take people to this realm while they're singing the caros, the essentials. And another thing that's, uh, I don't know if you've seen this on National Geographic, they have this like super snuff. You know what snuff is? Like Hasidim will put a little tobacco in their noses on Shabbos. You know, they... They sniff tobacco, and uh, it's like a super finely cut snuff. It's called snuff. And they, anyway, they have super snuff, where the medicine chief takes a pipe, fills it with the super snuff, you know, and he comes up to you, you grab your end of the pipe, you place it in your nostril, like pretty deep in, you know, aligning it with your brain, and, and the, 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 Indian, the medicine chief just goes like, and you're just like, <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, they, I mean, like you, you feel it hit you in the back of the head. You know. you blast off, you know. 
So, so he was telling me about that, and I'm like, so what's that called? And he says, oh, that's called Rappé. Rappé, the healer. The healer. <laughs> Which is Hebrew for the word Rappé. And then I'm like, I'm like, okay, so sing me a song. So he starts singing me a song, and every word, in, every letter in the song, someone have a, someone have a music app or YouTube or something, bring it to me, I'll play it for you. Just open it up so I can type it in. Ah, that's already your music. <coughs> oh, thank you. And YouTube's now advertising at the top there. So he starts singing me a song. Every word of the song is names of God, our names, Hebrew. And this guy doesn't know any Hebrew. He didn't. He has no idea. So it's all Hebrew. Here, listen to this one. I'm just typing in the term ayahuasca. There might be. Uh, there might be a song. Oh, wait. I guess I better write the word song. <laughs> Got a lot of other cool stuff. Uh, whoa. Oh, that's some crazy looking stuff. <laughs> My goodness. I mean, that's just unexpected. <laughs> So, hmm. Well, that didn't go so well. I mean, I'm sure it's a ton of songs, but it's not the song I was looking for. What's the name of the song? I just put the name of the of the plant. <laughs> the plant ayahuasca. But instead, I'm just getting a ton of different things here. Oh, wait, I got an idea. I think I remember the name of the guy who wrote it. Not who wrote it, but who plays it. Let's see. Not helpful. Let me try one more time. Let's try just the name of the guy. Let's see how that works. Okay, I guess not. Or maybe it's not on YouTube. <laughs> oh, they're listening for the minor <laughs> detail. The hey ha ho song. Yeah. Just look up hey ha ho. Oh, that's funny. Israel has one of these songs. <laughs> Have you guys heard Israel's song? <laughs> yeah. So it actually has that song. Um, that song goes like this. When you, when you get to the refrain, it says, Hey, 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 Yeah? And it's all, it's hazed. It's Juden haze. And it's haze and vavs. And um, I think this isn't on YouTube. I, I don't want to waste anyone's time anymore on this, but I'll just Are check. Are Americans? What's that? Native they're also doing this kind of stuff, but uh, this guy was from... Oh, I found it. This guy is South American. Sorry, yeah. Okay, here we go. Well, you got the whole album. This is Kolishan, so you guys, ladies, you love to hear this. Oops. It kind of leaves me out of the pack, but this particular song is without that. Okay, we're going to find it. These are all eight cars. Here we go. 
I asked my Rebbe if we can sing it, he was like, no. <laughs> Listen. Anyway, you got the picture. So, but it's like, they have thousands of years of this tradition of seeing these songs. This is South American Amazonian. So I asked him, like, where did you get these songs? And they're like, they're just part of the tradition. I said, do you realize these are names of God? Everything's names of God? And he's like, yes. He knows they're all names of God. Yeah. Um, but here's the, here's the cool thing that in my, in my research, you know what I discovered? Was that caffeine was never a beverage. Caffeine was a ceremonial a ceremonial what? Substance. I don't know what to call it. Ceremonial substance where you would be in the Amazon and the medicine chief would bring out, you know, cups of caffeine, obviously high-dosed, heavily potent caffeine, and people would have a full mind-expanding psychedelic experience on caffeine. And not only that, chocolate was never a food. The cacao bean, 100% cacao, was ceremonial. It was a ceremonial thing that you would experience religiously in a ceremony. And go, it would take you on this journey. Now, Westerners took caffeine as just a way to deal with lousy diets. <laughs> Meaning, if you have a lousy diet, you're always going to wake up crummy. Because, you know, all that food's just sitting in your system, rotting away while you sleep. Because digestion sleeps too while you're sleeping. There's no digestion while you're sleeping. So you got all, all the stuff you ate too late at night. You know, none of which is pretty very wholesome for most people. And then it just rots there until the morning. And then you eat, drink caffeine to mask the fact that you're, you know, you're basically poisoning yourself every single day. And the, um, anyway, the caffeine is uh, originally a ceremonial thing. So guess what? I tried it. I tried it ceremonially. Whoa. It works. It actually works. And I've been doing it ever since. So what, what I do, I only do it on Shabbat, is, first I have, I have my wake-up coffee. You know, and I'm not sure if it's diet-oriented, because I've noticed all glazers in my family wake up not very well. We just don't wake up well. My day, until I discovered caffeine, my day started at like noon, just because it took me that long to like get clear in my mind. My brain doesn't really start until about noon. But with caffeine, it starts right away, right after the cup. That's why, please don't get in the way of me going to that cup of coffee, which, you know, it's, happens really quickly after I, I basically go to the bathroom and then I dose my caffeine. But the, so this is what I tried was I go to shul, so I drink my coffee just to wake up, go to mikvah, come home, get ready, head out to shul. And in shul, I go off the fumes of that caffeine cup I had earlier it's not a strong one. I take a weak one in the morning uh, for Shabbos because I know I'm going to be dosing up. And I, don't, I want it to have its power. So then what happens, and this helps in Nusach Sfard because we only start Baruch Shemar later. And so I mean, we only get to that, whatever. Um, by the way, I asked a posik if you can make a shahakol before Baruch I mean, later in he also said you can. So you're allowed to say a shahakol in Berenifashas. Anyway, 
So what I what I do is later in the sukkah de Zimra is I go have the equivalent of four cups of coffee. Wow. Yeah, we're talking four heaping teaspoons, just like boom, like the cups, like half filled with coffee, and then sugar just to cut the acidity, and then milk to make it potable because it's just not potable to drink that much coffee, and uh, and anyway. Load it up. Now, by the way, if you did this on a regular day, you'd be so miserable. I mean, it would just mess you up. But what about if you're with 500 screaming Hasidim, having already been screaming with them for the last hour, and now you're coming back in to re-enter. By the way, I notice other Hasidim are doing this too. So they, they, I wasn't the first guy with this idea. But a lot of these Karliner Hasidim, we scream our prayers. We do ex- what's called ecstatic prayer. So we do full volume ecstatic prayer over a long time. Like Shul can be three, four hours on the Shabbos day. So anyway, then I rejoin them in a completely heightened state of mind. And it turns out that caffeine is a full on mind altering drug. I discovered this and allows you access in prayer, like, like I mean, I'm sure there's something else that would too, but I'm certainly not doing that. But it allows access in prayer like nothing else. And I strongly suggest anyone hearing this, try it this coming Shabbos. You know, make sure you go to a minion where people actually care about prayer instead of just trying to get, get it finished. The, uh, but you go to a, a synagogue where people care about prayer. Sometimes those are a little hard to find. But if you can find one, and then, and then go mega dose yourself on caffeine and then re-enter the, the shul from that perspective. Mind-altering substances are part of human culture and, they're, and they are, uh, they're built in and especially in spiritual practice, especially in spiritual practice. And that, that's what was going on in the temple at the time. And that's what's supposed to be going on every time we pray that we're involved in a spiritual ceremony. Now, our, most people don't live like that. Most people are not experiencing spiritual ceremonies when they're going to shul. They're experiencing other things, which are great, and they should, but, but, uh, but spiritual ceremony is a little rare to find. By the way, if anyone would ever want to join me to to my synagogue, you can certainly come have that What's spiritual ceremony. Yeah, you can just look it up online and get show up there. It's called Pinsk Karlin. Pinsk Karlin. P-I-N-S-K. Karlin. K-R-L-I-N. Anyone can come. You, know, you don't have to be Jewish to go in there even. And, and the, uh, you know, certainly wear a kippah and stuff and pretend you're Jewish. And, um, and it's... Uh, um, women's sections not as inspiring, um, but the front row generally cry the whole time. So if you feel like you need a good cry, you can just go cry with all the old ladies there. All the bubbas, all the bubbas cry during that. That well, the men are screaming and the women are crying. So, uh, and they're really cute old ladies. They'll like keep trying to help you with the page number and stuff. And you're like, I'm not there yet. She's like she's trying to speed you up, you know, it's like eighty-five-year-old lady. You know, and it, just behave and go to the page she wants you to be at. You know, like, just let her have her have her way on that one. Really sweet old 
ladies in there. And uh, um, I'm trying to think. Do you guys have any questions about mind-altering, uh, mind, uh, mind-altering uh, experiences? Any questions? Okay. George. Where did you go to get ayahuasca? Is it Peru, Argentina, Brazil? I didn't go to it. I didn't go to it. I just got, because I'm a rabbi, I get to meet these kinds of people. Like panel discussion type things. So I get to have these like amazing interactions with people. Yeah, I didn't get to go there. I'm not, I'm not a Wall Street wealthy guy flying into Peru for 10 days of plant medicine ceremonies in the jungle. It's not that expensive. You did it? I You've done everything. You didn't get to do ayahuasca. Um, guys, I see that when they all come walking in, that means I went late. So um, we're going to take, you can ask me outside. Shalom, everybody. Enjoy. Hello, who's going to write? You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.